You are listening to Billionaires in Boxes, the number one podcast publicist for businesses globally. Hello and welcome to this edition of Billionaires in Boxes with me, your host, Phil Paluccia. Uh, I am joined by a very special guest. Terry McDougall is with us in the house today. Whoop, whoop. Um, really looking forward to this, Terry. It's going to be a lot of fun. Phil, I am so excited that we finally got to recording day. I know, I, I, I know. Well, do you know what? We, we get two podcast hosts together. It's always interesting to see what happens. Uh, I, I love your post, the Marketing Mambo Um Terry is a executive leadership coach and consultant, so there's going to be a lot of guidance in here as to how to become a better leader, how to shape our businesses more, and yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a, a juicy and fruitful conversation, I can tell. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm excited to jump right in. Yeah, me too. So let's start with with the, your story, I suppose. So for our, our listeners who haven't come across you before, how would you describe you and, and what it is that you do? Well, I mean, you you kind of gave the top line. I'm an executive and leadership coach and uh, also an author, speaker, consultant. Uh, I really focus on helping individuals and organizations tap into their full potential and also to maximize that overlap between professional success and personal happiness. Um, I worked in the marketing world for 30 years uh, for a number of corporations, probably the bulk of my professional experience was in financial services for two large national banks here in the United States. I eventually uh, rose to lead marketing for several businesses at my last employer. And I made the decision in 2017 to make a big pivot, big left turn in my career and, uh, you know, become a professional certified coach. And, you know, that's might seem like that's a big um, departure from being a marketer. But, uh, you know, one of the things that I really enjoyed as being um, when I was a marketing leader was mentoring and coaching my staff. And quite frankly, mm. I always felt like it was a win, win, win because my uh, staff was successful. If they're successful, I'm successful. And it was also very fulfilling to help people grow in their career. And then, of course, it was helpful for the organization. And um, so today, I really tap into the 30 years of experience I had in the corporate world, use my uh, coaching skills to help other people do that for themselves individually and also for their organizations. Mm-hmm. No, I love that. And I don't think it's that far left field, actually, if I'm honest. I mean, with when you work in any marketing capacity, be that agency side or especially client side, you really get to see kind of what's underneath the bonnet, right? What's underneath the hood of the car and you see what's working, what's not working. And, um, you know, quite often most people, their their interpretation of a company or their perspective of a company is based on the nice shiny marketing material and, and the frontline people that they get to speak to. They don't really have an idea of what's going on at board level, whether the leadership are, as you said, whether they're successful and happy or whether they are, they're doing well in business, but they're utterly miserable. Um, and, and it's interesting to, to see that you've sort of taken that, saw that and gone, okay, I can actually help with, with both of these aspects here. I can help you to be happy and successful. Yeah. And, and honestly, it was a little bit of a, a surprise for me when I really did some self-examination about 
what were my true motivational drivers because I really um, associated myself so much with being the identity of a marketer and, and thinking that my motivations and my purpose were to help my organization make more money. And of course, I needed to do that. But when I really looked inside myself and said, you know, what really drives me? What do I feel fulfilled doing? What it was was actually helping the individuals that I was sitting across the table from, whether it was the head of the business or the head of sales, to understand their problems, to, you know, think about how do we solve for this problem, and then, you know, working with them to develop a strategy and execute on that. And that's quite frankly, I mean, to your point, you you saw this, you probably saw it before I did, <laughs> that that's exactly what you do in coaching and consulting as well. Um, yeah, and sure. so, you know, I realized that I actually had 30 years of practice before I actually, you know, made the pivot and made this the, the uh, focus of what I do for a living. It's like um, co- coaching and sales are two of those skills that I think most people actually have loads of experience in. They just don't kind of label it as such. I mean, like mm-hmm. people say, oh, I'm not good at sales. It's like, well, every time you you need to convince somebody of your decision or vocalize why you feel something, mm-hmm. that's sales. You're selling your point. Yes. You're selling your idea, um, mm-hmm. especially within marketing. Sa- sa- sales and sales coaching uh, go hand in hand with marketing. Because you're never going to get anybody to agree to any campaign, any ideas, any anything without first being able to coach them to understand how to get the best results and then sell your ideas to them that they can take them on board and implement them. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I always say too, like, meet them where they are. And whether Mm -hmm. that was me in my organization going and understanding, like, what are the pain points that the sales representatives are having and how can I help them bridge that gap? But I have to understand what that pain point is first before I can come up with an idea and sell it. And, you know, that's we we do this, you know, even with our kids or people, uh, other people in our lives, you know, in order to um, influence, we have to understand where people are right now, because otherwise it'll just be like messages, you know, two ships passing in the night, never, you know, really understanding each other. Mm. No, absolutely. No, I love that. Well, look, it's funny. You and I have a very similar saying. I say meet them where they're at, and I do that quite a lot, actually. And uh, you know, meet them where they're at for me is often about if you don't, you end up speaking to the top of the iceberg, right? Because most people only think right. symptom deep. Um, yes. And if you don't address the fact that, hey, listen, I am talking to you, um, you know, a great example would be I was speaking to a marketing guy a little bit earlier today. He, he runs an agency. And he was saying, you know, most people come to you and say, I need an extra 100 leads a day. And he said, actually, what you really need is to fix your crappy conversion rate. But if I start talking to you about how to fix your conversion rate, 80% of the listeners go, that's not me. I just need more leads. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Yeah. I I think it's it's really talking to the pain instead of uh, first before you try to diagnose the problem. Because at that point, there's an assumption there, you know, to the example that you use, there's an assumption there that you need more of something that's like, well, if you patched up your leaky funnel, (laughs) maybe you have more than enough leads, right? Because you don't know why those people aren't converting. Um, So yeah, it's, uh, but if you speak to the pain, and then you can start to maybe accurately diagnose the problem, but you also have to 
make sure that people understand that you feel and understand their pain before you earn the right to propose a solution. So staying in that flavor then, what are the now you've moved over into to leadership and executive leadership coaching, what are some of the, the 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 pains that you see people coming to you with saying this is my pain and then we'll, I'm curious to kind of move on to what is actually the issue then? Because as we said, most people only think symptom deep. So what are the most common ones that you come across in, in your profession? Well, I mean, probably one of the biggest ones is that people are like, there aren't enough hours in the day. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I keep, you know, my boss doesn't understand. They keep piling the work on and I'm already working 60, 70 hours a week and I'm, you know, hitting the wall. What can I do? And I see it, you know, I tend to, well, not tend to, I always <laughs> coach high achievers who are, I call, um, successful, but not satisfied. And, you know, they're going to be successful, but they're going to do it generally at a high price. And what I help them do is realize that, um, you know, their, their, um, First instinct usually is if they're not getting the result that they want is to go faster, to work harder, to try to bust through the wall. And what I try to get them to do rather than going faster or moving forward is to step back and understand what are you dealing with? And if you only want to work, you know, eight or nine or 10 hours a day, how do you get the same impact or more impact? from less investment of time and energy. Um, because we're not making widgets. You know, when you're dealing with professionals, they need to make impact. It's not like, oh, yes. I worked, you know, eight hours a day and I made X number of donuts. It's about um, how can I get the biggest return on investment for my time, energy, experience, etc. And what I really encourage people to do is look for the leverage points. You know, are you tapping into the full potential of all the resources that have been entrusted to you? And, um, you know, I often see like a huge blind spot for people that are recently promoted, whether they were an individual contributor and they've moved into a management role or they've moved from manager to director, but they've been given you know, they were good as an individual contributor. And a lot of times when they get promoted, they do not mentally promote themselves. They just mm. keep trying to do the same thing that they did before. And if somebody around them is not performing, they'll jump in and, and do it or they'll direct them um, ineffectively. And, in, and the reality is, is that they're just compounding their problem. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's a huge one that I see because, you know, I think that a lot of our training for success in life is, you know, from our parents or from school. And a lot of that is really focused on, you know, working hard and, you know, the work ethic. And sometimes people, you know, maybe they're humble and they're saying, well, I'm not above this. You know, I want to, I want to demonstrate that I'm a hard worker. But as you, as you rise to be a manager or a leader, your role really is to make an impact. It is not necessarily to do all the work yourself. I mean, in fact, no. it's not to do your all. It, it really is to maximize the impact or the return on investment from the resources that you've been entrusted with. And, mm. you know, 
typically people are not trained to think that way. They are not taught what the leverage points are or how to, you know, develop um, processes or systems or even how to delegate appropriately and effectively. Um, And a lot of times they feel, you know, maybe there's a little bit of fear that's driving, you know, fear of failure. And so rather than stepping back and taking the time to plan, like, understand the problem and strategize and put all of the pieces in place so that they can be more effective once they, you know, put the, put the uh, gas pedal down. Um, Instead, they just try to push forward on their own. And rather than like tapping into all the horsepower that they have, they're just like one horse that's running, (laughs) running ahead and maybe trying to drag the other horses behind them. But the other horses are like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing or, you know, they just, um, so anyway, I, I'm kind of going down a little bit of a rabbit hole here, but I can't talk about this. No, you're, you're so right though. This. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I see, I see a lot in businesses and it's, it's particularly in the sales environment, actually, if I'm honest, but that's mainly because I spent a lot of time there is that top performers are promoted to managerial and directorship positions and they don't have that skill set. Like they, what you do is, you know, companies are worried that, you know, I'm going to lose my top performer, that my top salesperson, they've been here for five, six years, they're going to get fed up being in the same position. So I'm going to pr- pr- promote them to sales manager, and then hope that they can somehow miraculously create a clone version of themselves in this team. And what ends up happening is, you know, and, and you see this in sport a lot as well, don't you? You know, top players don't necessarily make top coaches and, and top managers. It's, 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 in fact, it's rare that they do. Sometimes they do, but it's more often than not that they don't. Um, you know, and I, I like to go back to soccer. Like if you think back, think at the moment, even to like the five top coaches in the world at the moment, they weren't that good players. They either never played the game or they were average players. Right. And then I can think to a number of players who were world-class as players that have now been fired as coaches because they're unable to repeat the mm-hmm. same success. And, and yes. that's, a, that's a, a problem I see repeated globally in businesses of all different shapes and sizes. I, I see it very often as well. And, you know, I say this a lot that you can't read the label from inside the bottle and people that are naturally talented do not often have a lot of self-awareness about how they do what they do. (laughs) And so therefore they cannot teach it. There's a huge gap between what they just do because they know how to do it. Who knows how, you know, maybe they were just, you know, came to earth with that gift. They don't know how it happened. I, I think that actually, and I'm sure you would probably agree with this, that, a lot of times, like maybe the the middling um, athlete becomes a better coach because they were the ones that had to work really hard, who had to really, you know, look around them and say, what's making other people successful? Um, yes. And they had a more of a, they had to have more of a self-awareness in order for them to survive in the league. And therefore, they were a- they were aware and able to teach other people how to bridge that gap from you know being maybe being a talented athlete to being a superstar. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So it's it is uh, very very interesting, and I see it a lot with um, you know these people. They're smart. 
they rise to management and then they get really frustrated because the people that report to them are not as quick to understand what needs to be done. And I, I a lot of times have to hold that mirror up to them to say, if those other people were as knowledgeable and talented as you, they would have been promoted to your level. (laughs) They're not, there's a big gap and it's going to be frustrating for you because you know how to do this stuff naturally. But at this point, you're going to have to stop and do a lot of self reflection to understand what do I need to teach those people? How do I need to support them so that I can challenge them and allow them to be successful because a lot of times what what we find is that they that uh, leaders will either you know look at a situation and say you know what I know how to do that and I can do it really quickly so I'm just going to take that off their plate and I'm not going to challenge them because they're not they can't do it as well as I can right so they're they're almost like protecting those people and they're not challenging them. So a lot of times that ends up with people not bringing everything to bear in their role that they can because um, they just feel like, oh, well, the boss is just going to do it anyway. So I'm um, why mm. try? Why even learn? Or what they'll do is because they know how to do it, maybe just very intuitively or innately, they don't provide support when they assign something to someone they're just like they kind of toss it over the wall and be like hey just go do this and have it done by next friday but they don't show them how to do it they don't allow them to ask questions they don't provide them tools so that they can sort of get up the learning ramp and become proficient and so that also can be very um discouraging for people and and then the boss comes back and they're like well i know how to do this how come you couldn't get that done so quickly Mm. but they don't take into consideration that well maybe you were just you know maybe you're just naturally more talented or maybe you don't remember what it was like when you were learning that right because a lot of times it can have been a long time and you don't even remember what it took to learn that because it's become second nature um so that's typically the gap that you find when someone gets promoted to the next level and it's a big hurdle that keeps them from getting the full potential out of the people that uh, report to them. I don't mind sharing this actually because I think it follows on exactly what you're saying. There's two examples. There's one that's before and I'll, I'll give that a second. But the first one is I've been through something similar in my business recently with that whole support piece because um as we've grown as a business, it became less possible for me to be involved in every sales process. Um, and I had members of my team who are more than capable, very talented people, um, guys and girls who, who are really good at what they do. And they were nervous because they were saying, well, look, you get like a high 80s, early 90% conversion rate. Like we're not going to get that. Like what's going to happen if we rock up with, 40 50 percent conversion rate compared to your 80 85 90 and it was my job to provide them with that support and at first i didn't and and it wasn't that i didn't because i didn't care i didn't because it never even occurred to me that they'd be worried about that um so what ended up happening was the first couple of weeks we we did it um i'd get like a sales meeting at the end of the, the week and they'd be like well we've got like these 15 sales that look like they're really likely to convert they just need to speak to you and i was like 
well, why did it need to speak to me for? I thought you were picking up that bit. And, it, and when I listened back to the calls, essentially what they'd done is they'd gone 95% of the way and were so scared to ask for the close that they'd say, tell you what, let me put you in touch with Phil and then he can get you all signed mm -hmm. up because yeah. they were nervous about that bit. And when we went through that and I realized it, I said, guys, listen, if you end up with 25, 30% conversion rate for the next month, you know, to, to get you up to speed to where we need to be, then that's what it is. Like, I, I stunk up the room entirely when I first started too. Like it takes time to get to 85, 90% conversion rate. Like that's, you know, that that's ridiculous, those numbers. And and the reason I get that is I designed the bloody thing, right? Of course I know it better than anybody else does. It's, it's from my head. Um, yeah. So, you know, and that gave them the comfort to go and do that. But when I first got promoted, I mean, I was, I was working in, um, this is when I was working in recruitment. So I was working for an executive search firm. I was the top billing um, consultant for like two years in a row. And then they said, we're going to give you a team. And I didn't want a team. I didn't want a team. I didn't want a team for two reasons. I didn't want a team because I had no idea how to manage was, was reason number one. Reason number two was it was going to take me a time away from the thing I was really good at to go and now babysit other people. That was how I saw it. So what ended up happening was I had a team that didn't want to ask me for help because it was quite clear that I didn't want to help them. And then you had a manager who didn't want to be there and nobody could work out why I was still the top performing guy. And I was always, I, I couldn't work out why I was in trouble. I was like, well, I'm still billing X. And it's like, yeah, that's not the mm -hmm. point. Your team isn't succeeding. Like you've got yeah. to go and help your team. And I was like, well, you know, you just said it before. Actually. It's like, well, what's wrong with them? Like they, all they need to do is follow the process, do what I do and they'll be fine. And, it, it really does take time to learn. And I remember, you know, I was thoroughly, thoroughly unprepared to be a manager, thoroughly unprepared. To be a most manager. people are because most organizations don't teach people how to manage. No. And, um, you know, I, I want to provide an example of, you know, if there is somebody that's a manager and, and has that tendency to say, oh, it's just quicker for me to do it myself. This is one way that I help people think about that. That if, say, for example, you know, you're the sales manager and, you know, you make twice as much as somebody on your team, you know, a lot of times people will say, it's just quicker for me to do it myself. And I, I point out that if you delegate this and it takes the person on your team twice as long as it takes you, you've lost nothing because you actually have preserved your time to focus on things that only you can do. There, you, there's an opportunity cost to not delegating. And also, when somebody is given the chance to learn, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a learning curve, right? In the beginning, yes, it's going to take them longer. But often, I mean, I, I bet this would be the case with with you and your team, that once those folks start, you know, having the courage to, mm -hmm. to close, that you're going to have some people that are going to exceed your close rate. Um, yep. And that, that happens. I've seen it happen a lot. I'm anticipating whenever. it already. In fact, I can tell yeah. you who it is because the, I'll tell you why as well. There are two people in my team that I would class as natural closers. Like their personality yeah. is perfect for it. I'm not. I had to learn that skill. Mm -hmm. um, so once you're absolutely right. And, and, and again, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, it's that even if it takes them twice as long, if you've now got a team of five to 10 people, they're still far exceeding the results that you could achieve even yes. doing it in double the time. Yes.
I, I also think that when people get good at something that it feels good, right? It feels Correct. good to, to be the like top salesperson or be the top scorer on the team. And, um, you know, if we have to, or if we get promoted to the next level where we're managing other people, that it can be hard to go back to, to learning, right? And you do have to step outside your comfort zone and you have to, in some ways, risk not having, like for the short term, not having as much quote unquote success yes. as you're entrusting other people. But, you know, if somebody really wants to be a leader, you're going to make the most impact if you are able to translate the things that you know and to train other people because it multiplies the effect. Now, maybe not, I mean, it could be, and this is not uncommon, it could be that still nobody gets to 100% or 110% of your productivity. But if you've got 10 people reporting to you and you get some people to 75% and some people to 98%, you know, maybe on average, it's like, okay, you've got 10 people at 85% of your productivity, you have multiplied the oh, impact yeah. by, you know, 800%, you know, mm, for those 10 people. Enough. So yeah, it really is. And so, um, but it takes being willing to step outside of your comfort zone and kind of go, going back to the beginner's mind and, you know, pulling the blinders off a little bit to see the opportunities to, to learn, uh, to learn to delegate, to learn to support and challenge your teams so that, you know, they are liberated to deliver uh, what they're capable of doing. I'll tell you a funny story. It's nothing to do with the, the, the business at all, but actually it's the same kind of lesson, right? Um, I was in this football team, soccer team, for most people listening, um, when I was a kid. And there was a guy in my team who, um, same age as me, and his dad always used to bring him to training. And his dad was always late. He was one of these parents that was always, always late. Like we'd already be warming up when their car would pull into the car park. It's that family, right? And he was really slow at putting his laces, his shoelaces on and doing his shoelaces really, really slow. So his dad would just go, give him here, and then tie his shoelaces, right? And this went on forever, and, and it was just a running joke that his dad would grab his feet really quickly, tie his laces, and send him onto the field because he was already late. So he'd come running mm -hmm. on. And then one day, his dad couldn't bring him to the game because I think he was away for business. And his mom came and dropped him off, and he came onto the pitch with his laces undone. And it was like, do your laces? And he says, I don't know how. Right? And it's because his dad always ties his laces for him because he's like, oh, just mm -hmm. give it here. It'll be quicker if I do it. And now yeah. here's this kid. And he must have been, I mean, we're talking 11, 12 years old at this point, yeah. And he's saying, I can't tie my shoelaces. I don't know how to do it. Yeah. That, for me, spoke volumes. And the teacher was like, well, have you never tied your laces? And he's like, no, I only ever have to tie my boot laces. And my dad always does it for me. And he went, don't you have laces on your school shoes? He says, no, I wear slip-ons and Velcros. And he's like, so I've never, I've never had to. And, and yeah. I remember thinking, even at the time thinking, how do you get to 12 years old and not knowing how to tie your shoelaces? And yeah. His, his dad wasn't, his dad was not serving him. He was, no. he was like, you know, protecting him, but yep. um, enabling him and, and really preventing him from 
living up to his full potential. It's sad. I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's I, I hate. You're to so hear right. That. You're so right, and that's that's for me. That's so important for people to hear because managers do that all the time. It's like they see somebody struggling. It's like, oh, just give it here. I'll just do it. I can do it faster. I can do it quicker. Yeah. I'll just da, 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 and away we go. You know, I I use an analogy with my um, with my clients, and I don't I don't know if it will translate to the UK as well. But I mean, you guys all know about baseball, right? And and a lot of times, uh, you know, as a kid playing baseball, if you're playing in the outfield, there's three outfielders: right field, center field, and left field. And it was not uncommon in school or whatever that you'd be playing, and there'd be like one person in the outfield who was a great athlete, and they would run over the whole field. <laughs> yeah, okay. To to catch the fly ball. Right. And, and they would, you know, run in front of one of their teammates to do that. Well, when somebody does that enough, the other people in the outfield just stop trying. And so then maybe a ball's coming in and it's coming right to the, you know, say the right fielder and they're expecting the left fielder is going to run over and snag it. And when they don't do it, the ball falls. Right. Because you basically trained people not to act, not to you know, not to do yeah. because they just expect like, oh, well, this other person's going to come in and, and, you know, save me, maybe not even save me. I mean, I hated it when people did that. Um, but after a while, you're kind of like, well, I don't want to collide with them. So I'm just going to stand back and let them do what they're doing. Right. And a really good analogy. Um, it's not, you know, it's not good for the team, <laughs> right? Because you're not strengthening all the players when that happens. Mm. I had an ex-partner who used to do that with me with cooking. I'd be making oh. something and she'd come and push me out of the way and she'd go, your food sucks, let me finish it. And I'd never finish a recipe. Yeah. Uh, and, and then in the end, it'd be like, will you make something for dinner? And it's like, no, I'll order a takeaway. Right. Well, yeah, and that totally makes sense, right? Like, Because it's not satisfying if you know, you're like, well, you're just going to come in and criticize me and finish yeah, it up exactly. anyway. I never had the chance to learn, right? So. No, you're so right, and and I I think the sad thing here is that there are there are to use that analogy that you used about baseball. Sometimes those those really athletic outfielders, you know, they kind of fall into one of two camps, don't they? They either fall into the camp of I'm a much better athlete than them, so I'm going to go and do it because I'm the best. And sometimes they fall into it, which is I know I'm I'm more experienced than this, so I'm going to try and help them by trying to keep them out of those sticky situations and I'll go catch it. But ultimately mm -hmm. the result is still the same, which is that you're not empowering your teammates. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, that was a good example that you used because I think in, in one case they're trying to dominate. They're like, I'm yes. the best, I'm going to dominate. And in the other case, they're trying to protect, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, I don't want you to drop the ball and feel bad. So I'll just come over and save you from that. But both of those, for different reasons, have a, a negative impact on team dynamics. You know, in one in one case, you know, when somebody is when somebody's trying to protect them, if all of a sudden the person expects them to step up, they're kind of like resentful, and they're like, "Well, why should I have to step up now? You've always done this for me." I mean, maybe kind yeah. of like your your former partner, right? You're like. Why are you asking me to cook? Like you always, you know, you don't even let yeah. me cook, right? So you, you, there's some resentment there. And then um, with the dominating, you know, we can feel really bullied like that, you know, well, my, my contribution is not uh, appreciated at all, or you're going to force me to do something you're not 
appreciating and respecting me as an individual and allowing me to contribute in the way that I'm able to. And, uh, you know, kind of going back to what we were saying before about, you know, your, um, your sales team and, you know, them closing at 30 or 40%. When we do trust people, very often they can fully exceed our expectations. You know, I, I think about, you know, obviously there's like maybe a little bit of trepidation whenever you're delegating something and you, you know, and it takes some time to review and teach and answer questions and all of that. But I've seen it time and again that when I delegate and I support appropriately, that uh, people on my team have come up with much better and more innovative ways of solving problems than what I did. Mm. And that's, that's your reward if you're willing to, you know, be a leader and invest, you know, believe in your people and invest in them, even if in the short term, it's uncomfortable, and you're not performing at the level that you could if you did it yourself. Yeah, that makes total sense. Total sense. What so where's your niche then? Because obviously everything that you do could apply to lots and lots of different types of businesses. So do you kind of work with a wide range of businesses or do you find that you kind of have a sweet spot of, I like these types of businesses of this type of size in these locations? What does that look like in your world? I mean, I do work with um, a lot of different industries and different functional areas. My sweet spot is... Um, people in marketing, uh, communications, uh, advertising, because that's my background. Yeah, and, um, that makes you a know, lot of I, sense. I've seen, I mean, I experienced it myself and I've, uh, I've seen it with clients also that a lot of times, you know, the marketers, they're the, they're the creatives, they're the, you know, people oriented people. And sometimes, especially depending on the industry, you know, my background was in financial services, that you can have people that have very different styles and approaches to life. And sometimes the marketers can be misunderstood within organizations because a lot of times people don't understand marketing. Um, mm. And they they think like, oh, that the marketer should be able to hit the bullseye with a silver bullet the first time. And they don't understand that it's sort of an iterative uh, process of testing yeah. and learning and you have to, you know, kind of going back to what we were saying earlier about, um, being able to sit down with someone and understand their pain. Um, you know, so I've definitely experienced this, that, you know, people in the organization might say to me like, well, you're the marketer, you should know. And I'm like, I diagnose, but I have to examine the patient. Right. And if you're, <laughs> you know, if you're the one experiencing the pain, I need to talk to you about that. Um, but how do you influence within organizations? And I think that, um, you know, I have some tools that I use that help people to understand, you know, what's their perspective on the world and what is the perspective of the people that they're dealing with? Because once we start to get that kind of awareness, we can start to communicate effectively. And very often there's conflict within organizations that prevent the organizations from, you know, tapping into the, the potential of all the people involved. And, you know, uh, you know, one of, one of the um, relationships that I think is really critical is uh, the, the relationship between sales and marketing. 
And that is also an area where there's often a lot of conflict. And when that Mm. doesn't work, oh boy, you know, you can end up um, having a lot of uh, issues. You can end up, you know, maybe spending money or investing resources in something that are, that's not aligned with the needs of the marketplace. And it might be Mm. because, you know, the head of marketing doesn't want to talk to the head of sales, you know, and that's, it just doesn't make sense, but I can understand because sometimes it's just, they have different perspectives on the world and they're focusing really more on the conflict than understanding that you need like organizations need people that see the world differently. You know, um, they, they need to tap into the skills and the, and the gifts and the experience of all of the, the people in the organization in order to, um, you know, be as good as the organization can be. But, you know, sometimes we're not taught how to talk to, uh, you know, people that have different styles than we do, or we don't even recognize. We're like, why, why are they even asking about this? Or why are they, you know, why don't they see it the way I see it? Well, they're just a different type of person, right? But probably their, their view or their, um, you know, perception of what's going on is important for the role that they're in. And, you know, same for, you know, you, but like, how do you come together in a way that's collaborative and not, you know, uncomfortable and where you want to avoid them? I mean, that's just, that does not uh, create an environment where you can get the most out of the resources of the organization. And it's not fulfilling either. You know, a lot of times I've I've seen that actually, um, I've seen that happen in a business, right? And what happened was it was a mid-sized accountancy firm. I was working with a VC who bought them out and the VC put me in there and said, go and see what's going on and help them grow. And what would happen was the marketing director had been there forever. In fact, she was very close friends with the former owner who is now, I think they were still if they weren't acting CEO, they were like still the chairperson, even though they didn't own the organization anymore. So they were still at the top of the tree, essentially. It just had a different name on the deed now, right? So I think it was that transition period where you sell the business out and then you're going to be there for 12 to 18 months to kind of do the handover. So everybody knew you couldn't really say anything about this marketing director because she was friends with the owner, right? So what would happen was I would sit in in meetings, and this is genuinely what would happen in a board meeting, is sales you know we talk about sales figures and sales would always caveat that with it's not working very well because the leads we're getting are crap because marketing are aiming at the wrong people sending out the wrong message right and then she'd be like well no that's nonsense we're actually getting a really decent return the click-through rate's really good the return's good we're getting you know a low price per lead you guys just can't close the leads right and previously what had happened before I came in, I mean, I'm not going to pretend I was the person that fixed all of this because I wasn't, right? But they would had like five sales managers in the space of about three years because people would work with this woman for a few months and say, I'm not doing this and off they go. In fact, invariably, they'd been promoted from within. So they'd lost a lot of their top performers, right? Yeah. Because people don't want to take a step back down to going and becoming the top salesperson again once you've been promoted to manager. Sure. So it's easier just to move to another company where you don't have to deal with any of that. 
some of them actually moved to go and be a sales consultant again in other companies just because it was easy. They just didn't want the the negative stereotype, the people looking at them and going, oh, you couldn't handle it as a manager. So they left, right? And it turns out that what had happened was sales and marketing were ran by two different directors in the business. One was focused on what we have, we hold. And the other was focused on here's what the future looks like. So you had sales that had the old script, if you will. They were doing what we have, we hold. This is our audience. Then you've got the new VC who's appointed someone who's saying to marketing, aim for this type of customer now and say this because this is what we're looking for. And because that conversation had never happened between those two departments, essentially, they were both right. Marketing were doing a great job at getting leads. But the sales department had a script that was not fit for purpose because they were selling it to the wrong people. Yeah, you know, there's um, in order to get the most out of, uh, you know, the the best performance out of teams, we've got to start with some things that a lot of times we don't want to start with. We want to skip to execution. And what's really critical is to focus on communication right? Have those open channels so that we can get clear. Are we even speaking the same language? Develop those relationships so that we feel like, oh, we are on the same team and we share the same values and the same goals. And then make sure that there's alignment. And a lot of times, you know, we don't want to do that because it's uncomfortable. We're talking past each other. You know, what you described with those two directors is, you know, in, in the, uh, tool and I, I'm going to share this link with your mm. listeners um, for this assessment called the Five Voices. But the one um, person that you were talking about that is um, what we have, we hold. That's a guardian. Yes. That's somebody who ha- is saying, "If it ain't broke, why fix it?" Right? This is working. Let's uh, hold on to it. Let's honor what has worked in the past. This is somebody who's, you know, really wants to um, honor tradition, right? And there's that's that's an important role that needs to be played within organizations. Usually these are the people that are, you know, doing the due diligence and making sure that we're remaining compliant. Like we have to stay safe, right? But in order to move into the future, we also need people that are maybe more like pioneers or um, creatives that are looking ahead and saying what could be. Like, what are the, what's the next big thing? What's the opportunity that's out there? And mm. these are both uh, types, if you will, or personas that organizations as a whole need. They don't naturally see eye to eye, but once they start understanding and respecting what each of them provides for the organization and they start to understand like how do we talk to each other Mm. that they can start to collaborate they can start to understand and respect the contributions of each other and they can come together as a team and you know like going back to you know your sport football like I'm sure that there are some um, players that are good on the attack There are some players that are good at tackling and assisting, right? And what if we just said, well, the only only skill that we're going to really value is, you know, those guys that are really fast and they're good on the attack and that they can really make it down the field quickly. Um, That team is not going to be as successful as if, 
you know, somebody else who has like great foot skills and can, you know, steal the ball and absolutely and, you know, provide and be the one that provides the assist. Yeah. Right. Like we've, we've got to, you know, recognize the strength, recognize and, and value and respect those strengths and say, you know, when is it appropriate for, you know, me to take the lead or what, where are we going to have the handoff and how do we make it so each of us feels comfortable sharing, you know, our, our uh, gifts and our strengths and our experience here? Because a lot of times what will happen is that, you know, some people like people who are, are pioneers or, you know, are, are connectors, they're usually pretty extroverted and they're maybe a little bit cocky sometimes. And they'll, they'll talk loudly and they'll drown out other people that we need to hear from. Absolutely. You know, but once we start to understand like what people's styles are or their perspectives and start to maybe have a, um, a culture within our organization where we're saying, you know what, you're quiet, but I'm going to be proactive about asking you, you know, what do you see that's going on here? Do you agree with what we've come up with? Or do you think that there's a better way for us to do this? What are we not thinking about? Um, and a lot of times, like making sure that you're getting input from the different players is going to make sure that whatever you, you know, let's if we use marketing, go to market with is probably going to be a stronger uh, strategy than if marketing sat in a corner and came up with it themselves and just said, totally you know, agree. yeah, uh, so there was definitely, uh, you know, those two ships passing in the night with the example that you yeah. used. And, oh, for sure. Yeah. And it, it probably could have been um, rectified had somebody sort of stepped back and said, like, both of you guys are right and both yeah. of you are wrong. How are we going to come together to bridge the gap here so that, um, you know, both of the skill sets are being used to their utmost? No, I love that. I do. We could go forever. I love talking <laughs> to you. We always have great conversations. Yeah. So- how can people get in touch then? I mean, you mentioned this uh, this this quiz that you mentioned that we'll obviously put in the show notes below. You know, who is it that you want to hear from, and and how can they get in touch? Well, if anybody out there is um, having discomfort, you know, within their organization, or if they're starting to come back from working remotely, and they're like, "How do we, you know, inspire people? How do we get the most potential out of the people that we've got?" I'd say um, reach out to me um, and we can have a chat to see if I might be able to, to help you. I've got um, this free assessment that um, people can, can take. It's at giant.tv uh, slash Terry McDougal zero. And, uh, you know, I'll give you that link that you can put in the show notes. But, Thank you. you know, people can go out and find out what their uh, voice order is. So, you know, I talked about the, you know pioneers and the connectors and the guardians and the other two are nurturers and uh uh sorry <laughs> if you go out there you'll see all of them but i'm it's curious really what mine great... is so I, i'm gonna give it a go after the yeah, show actually but yeah, yeah de- i would definitely back that up get, go check out the show notes below and, and give it a go it's really great too and once you take the assessment and you get your voice order there are videos that explain more about that and then if if you are like, wow, this is awesome and I want my whole team to take it, you can do that. I've got a free uh, workshop that if you would like me to come in and do it for your team, I can do that. 
Um, but if you want to get in touch with me, you can go to terrybmcdougall.com. Um, the, the other platform I provide, I'll provide to, um, Phil to put in the show notes to take the free assessment. And then, um, I didn't, I don't think I mentioned this, but I have a book also, which is called winning the game of work. And that is available worldwide, um, on Amazon. Wonderful. I'll put the link for that as well. No, that'd be great. Thank you so much for being here. It's been a real pleasure. And, and, and I'm, I imagine there'll be plenty of people that will want to re-listen to this and get a pen and paper because there was a lot of golden nuggets in here um, for people to share. So thank you so much for, for sharing your time. And, and you know, I, I love the approach because I think what you said is so um, – I think it's going to be so familiar to a lot of people. I think we can all think of situations where we've seen this and experienced it and – and I think many people as well will be looking at this going, actually, I wonder if that's currently happening with me or with my team or in my business. And it probably is. <laughs> it happens all the time. And it's, you know, it's unfortunate I, I, uh, that, you know, all of us go to work wanting to enjoy what we're doing and share what we're good at. But so often we get shut down mm. by other people that don't understand the contribution that we're making or they don't value it because it's different than what they do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're all different. We all have gifts and, you know, the world will be a better place when we can all, you know, tap into our full potential and show up as we are and be valued and respected for that. Couldn't agree more. Well said. Beautiful way to end the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Really hope the listeners have taken a lot away from this. I'm sure you have. I, for one, will certainly be re-listening to this podcast with a pen and paper and making some notes. So I suggest you do the same and definitely go check out that free profile, that free uh, test below. Um, leave in the comments as well what you got. I'd be interested to know what different personality types we have listening to the show. And um, it, yeah, if you're interested in working with Terry, definitely get in contact and, and have that conversation. Take care of yourselves and we'll see you next time. This is Billionaires in Boxes, empowering one billion entrepreneurs, one podcast at a time.